Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio here on Anchor FM. My name is Sean. I'm your host, and it is Monday. Hope you guys had a great weekend. An interesting thing happened on Anchor FM over the weekend. They rolled out an update that now allows for texting to reply or comment or ask questions on a broadcast as opposed to just that call-in button. This is pretty cool because, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe are just a little bit shy about doing a voice call-in or, you know, maybe you're just in a place where it's not appropriate. You're on a train or you're in a crowd of people or sitting at your desk at work. Don't let your boss catch you. But uh, if you're listening to, to a broadcast in any of those scenarios and you'd prefer to just be able to text in a question or a comment about the content, you can now do that. So that's pretty great. I also wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to anybody out there who has been listening to the Gadget Reason radio show. I know we're in the early days here, not a whole lot of content, but continue to tune in. There's going to be a lot more coming your way. And be sure to let anybody else know that uh, this channel is here if they're interested in tech news and conversation as well. So if you've favored the channel already, thank you very much. If not, please go ahead and favorite the channel and continue to tune in. But let's go ahead and jump into today's tech download for July 24th, 2017. So the first Pokemon Go Fest was held on Saturday in Chicago's Grant Park. Thousands of players from around the world flooded the park for the first ever Pokemon Go Fest. To say that things did not go well would be a huge understatement. Not only did it start to rain throughout the day, but the app reportedly crashed uh, all throughout the day. And things were actually so bad that the developer was refunding $20 ticket prices and giving $100 Pokecoin credits to individual Pokemon player accounts that were in attendance. Uh, Players had started lining up at Grant Park's entrance at 6 a.m. on Saturday, hours before the event was supposed to start. And people were reportedly coming from all over the world to get an opportunity to see some never-before-seen Pokemon that were promised to be at this event. Niantic, the software developer behind the Pokemon Go app, issued an apology stating that we apologize to all the trainers who came out to Pokemon Go Fest today. Although we were able to solve many of the technical issues, we were not able to offer every attendee a great experience. So you got to give Niantic credit for trying to put together a huge festival like this, uh, considering that the game has done a lot for getting people up and out of their chairs and moving around doing something active with their phones for a change. Uh, The game has not been without its issues, and this one will just get chalked up into that column of problems that they faced. But, uh, you know, I give them credit for trying, and hopefully they continue to try and put some type of events like this or special features to keep active users participating in the game going forward. If you're one of the many gamers out there that's been anxiously awaiting pre-orders for the SNES Classic to go live here in the U.S., you might have had a little bit of a heart attack over the weekend thanks to Walmart, who actually sent out emails to customers who had signed up on their pre-order mailing list page saying that pre-orders were live and it had a link to go where you could click and actually start your pre-order process. Immediately upon clicking this link, the page was already reported to be down and to please check back later. I know this was the case for me. I got the email when I just happened to have my phone in my hand, so I clicked the link within 15 to 20 seconds, and the page was already shut down completely. Walmart is claiming that this was just a mistake and isn't any reflection on the actual number of pre-order consoles they'll have available, and Nintendo has not released a statement stating exactly when pre-orders will start here in the U.S., But I really, really hope that this is not an indication of what it's going to be like once pre-orders go live. I think we're all expecting a huge rush to buy these consoles following up on the NES Classic disaster that was the sale of that console last year. But um, Nintendo has promised there will be more of these consoles available and that they will continue to produce them all throughout the end of 2017. But 
Um, you know, the fact that the entire Walmart site crashed immediately upon sending out this email is definitely not a good sign, and I think we can all expect to be trying to uh, clamor and claw our ways into any of these pre-order sites, whether it's Walmart, Best Buy, Amazon, whoever. I think that the pre-orders are going to sell out pretty quickly, and uh, it's just going to be up to Nintendo on if they can produce enough of them going forward that retailers will have them in stock and available for anxious consumers to buy. In some other Nintendo news, another 15 minutes of new gameplay footage from the Nintendo Switch exclusive Super Mario Odyssey reared its head over the weekend. Nintendo was showing off the new footage at San Diego Comic-Con over the weekend, and that new footage has now started to make its way all over the interwebs. Nintendo's been showing off quite a lot of the game footage since the E3 announcements, and uh, you know people are now starting to get a really good idea of what the gameplay is going to be like. In this new batch of footage, the thing that really strikes me is exactly what kind of gameplay we're going to be looking at. And this definitely looks to be going back to a more explorative, um, problem-solving type gameplay where you're going to spend a lot more time in each world, you know, actually solving problems, doing side quests. There was a, a scene where he's actually hunting down band members from all over the city to participate in an event that the mayor of New Donk City is throwing. So there's definitely more, a little bit more exploring in this type of gameplay than in the previous games, like for example, Mario 3D Land on the Wii U, it definitely had more of that speed run, collect the coins, go as fast as you can type of a vibe to it. I personally like this type of gameplay better. Uh, it kind of is a throwback to the Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64. A lot more exploring, um, a lot more time spent in each world, hopefully. New Donk City looks fantastic, and they did a much better job getting Mario to fit into a more hyper-realistic world than I thought they would. He didn't really look out of place at all. Everything had just enough of that Mario aesthetic to, to keep him rooted or grounded in that world and not looking out of place. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting my hands on this game in October. So if you're a fan of Mario or if you're a Nintendo Switch owner and you're looking at your next big title, this could probably be it. Microsoft's next Surface product, the eagerly anticipated Microsoft Surface Phone, is starting to have some more rumors trickle out as we're probably getting closer and closer to its official unveiling. Microsoft is said to be releasing multiple editions of the phone, starting with a consumer edition, a business edition, and then the enthusiast edition will be the highest end model. The base model, or consumer edition, is said to be coming with 2GB of RAM and 32GB of storage, and going all the way up to the highest end model, which is the enthusiast edition, which will have 6GB of RAM and 128GB of storage. The enthusiast edition is said to have a 5.7 inch display, Qualcomm's latest 835 Snapdragon chipset, and the other two are likely to have the Snapdragon 820 or 821 processors. Of course, the biggest uh, bit of news about the Microsoft Surface Phone is that it's supposed to be running Windows 10 Redstone operating system, which will allow it to run native Win32 applications, albeit through some type of emulation. But this means that you should be able to run desktop quality applications on the Microsoft Surface Phone. The ability for this phone to run native Win32 apps is probably its biggest selling feature and is probably going to be the thing that makes or breaks it, considering the fact that the previous Windows phones have let most people down because of the lack of things like a robust app store and just being able to compete in general with the features and functionality that have been provided by the Android smartphones as well as the iPhone. Now, the Surface Phone is said to come with a 20 megapixel rear shooter via Carl Zeiss, which will be a great Thing for people who are looking to take decent photos with their smartphone, and the front camera will be a standard 8 megapixel for video chat. 
The Surface Phone is also said to come with a Surface Pen and removable keyboard similar to those found on the Surface Pro tablets. This should go a long way to helping business users be more productive on the go. And Microsoft might add a unique fingerprint sensor to the Surface Phone as well. So I really think the, the biggest reason to stay interested about the Surface Phone really is its integration with the Windows 32 applications. And if, if Microsoft can make that work seamlessly and it's not a hassle and the apps run smoothly, then that's going to give it a big leg up over Android and iPhone in terms of you know being sold to business users or anybody who's looking to get a lot of productivity done. Now, the price could also be a factor. Uh, rumored pricing for the Surface Phone is expected to go anywhere from $699 to $1,100, um, which would be a little bit steep. But then again, the latest iPhone is rumored to be creeping up at $1,000 as well. So stay tuned for more information on the Surface Phone. If you're someone who's been looking for a new laptop that can double as a gaming rig on the go, you might want to take a look at some of the reviews for the Asus Republic of Gamers Zephyrus. This is a new breed of laptop that is also using the NVIDIA Max-Q design standard, which is becoming more and more popular with gaming laptop manufacturers. This Max-Q design standard is basically laser-focused on creating the slimmest laptops that you can while still maintaining a beefy GPU that performs really well for gaming on the go. This latest offering from Asus is actually one of the lightest gaming laptops around 4.93 pounds. So that's three pounds lighter than that Razer Blade Pro that came out last year. So that's pretty impressive in its own right. Obviously, anytime you pack this much power into this small of a design, you're always going to be sacrificing a little bit on battery power. But gaming laptops or super powerful laptops usually don't have that great of battery life anyway. So no big surprise there. One of the most interesting things about the design of the Zephyrus, though, is when you open the laptop lid, the bottom part of the chassis actually lifts up and shifts backwards, revealing a large air intake for cooling the laptop, and it also kind of tilts the entire keyboard up at a little bit of an angle. It's definitely a striking, uh, interesting design choice, and I wonder how well it'll hold up over long-term use, but um, it definitely seems to do its job in keeping the laptop running cool, even under intense gaming. Another interesting design choice worth mentioning is that the trackpad has been shifted over to the right side next to the enter key as opposed to being front center middle where it normally is on most laptops. The trackpad itself also has another unique feature. At the touch of a button, you can actually illuminate a virtual number pad. So that gives you the option to have some more gameplay functionality as well as just having a dedicated number pad for knocking in numbers. Um, and it's all virtual, it's not actual physical keys. So how realistic that's gonna be to use in the real world or how functional it's gonna be has yet to be seen. I haven't tested it out myself, but it definitely is an interesting thing to see because I haven't seen that type of uh, a trackpad used on any other laptop top before. The display itself is actually a 15.6 inch 1080p screen, so a little bit underwhelming there, especially for something in this price range, but it is a 120 hertz refresh screen using NVIDIA's G-Sync technology, so that's definitely a plus for gamers. Um, I definitely would have preferred to see at least a 1440p screen, especially considering it's rocking a GTX 1080. CPU-wise, it's a Core i7-7700HQ processor that's running at 2.8 gigahertz, along with 16 gigabytes of RAM, um, which is definitely more than enough for just about any game you could want to throw at it. And it's, of course, rocking the NVIDIA GTX 1080. So all these things combine to make a pretty solid performer in terms of a portable machine. With all that power, the Zephyrus is obviously VR ready as well, although I don't know who the heck's carrying around their Oculus Rift with them in their backpack to do some on-the-go VR gaming at your local Starbucks, but hey, if you're into that, you can. Now obviously all this power crammed into this tiny little portable package obviously always comes with a pretty steep price, and the GTX 1080 model is ringing in at $2,699. You could also go with the cheaper version with a GTX 1070 and a smaller 256GB SSD for around $2,299. 
Well, that might sound a little bit steep, it's worth noting that both of these models, including the GTX 1080 maxed out version, both come in cheaper than the Acer Predator 700, which was also rocking a GTX 1080 and Max-Q design, which was ringing in at about $3,000. So uh, the Zephyrus is really priced pretty competitively for what it is. So if you are looking to spend about $2,500 to $3,000 on a new laptop that can do some gaming, you might want to take a look at the Asus Republic of Gamers Zephyrus. And finally today, Intel updated its desktop CPU price sheet with pricing and core performances for the X-Series 12-core chips that were announced earlier this year. The full list for the Core X series chips starts with the i7-7740X, which is a 4-core chip with 8 threads, 8 megabytes of L3 cache, and a 4.3 gigahertz base clock speed with a 4.5 gigahertz boost speed, and it's available now for $339, and goes all the way up to the i9-7920X, which is a 12-core processor with 24 threads, 16.5 megabytes of L3 cache, and a 2.9 gigahertz base clock speed, and it should be around $1,189 and available in August. It's also worth mentioning that if you do not already have one of the latest X299 motherboards, then you will need to go out and upgrade before you can think about getting one of the new Core X series chips. So, something to keep in mind on top of the chip price is the fact that you'll probably be purchasing a new motherboard as well. That does it for today's tech download. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Gadget Reason Radio here on Anchor FM. If you loved this content, be sure to favorite the station so you get notified anytime I upload any new audio. And I will catch you guys on the tech download for tomorrow.